Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Happy spring. My name is Philip Moyer, and I'm a pastor here at Trinity. And thanks to you all, I got a promotion recently. Oh, yeah. So from assistant to associate pastor... And uh, my work here at Trinity is primarily focused toward the youth and also to the music and worship and formerly the choir, which hopefully we'll have back someday, Lord willing. Um, But since I don't have this uh, opportunity to be in front of you in this way very often, um, I wanted to take this opportunity publicly to express my gratitude to our pastors Um, who I have the great privilege of working alongside with, um, who preach here day in, day out, every Sunday. And uh, I've been especially helped by them over this past year. I hope you have been too. Um, It's been a difficult year, and they've been faithful preachers of the Word as we've had to navigate the difficulties of this past year. And we ought to show them our gratitude. And uh, Galatians 6.6 6 says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And I'm also grateful, very grateful for this church. Um, very often, I think, where would I be without this church? And it's been, we've been here uh, 15 years this summer. And it's just, it's scary to think, where we would have been without this church. It scares me, but I'm just so thankful that God has led us here, brought us here, and he's patiently worked through repentance in us and our sins as he has in you. And so I hope you treasure the blessings that you have in this church, and especially you young people as well. Um, Be grateful for what God has given you in the church here. And that command to share all good things with the one who teaches you applies to you too. Um, You know, those who lead you, your your pastors, your elders, your parents, your teachers, your youth leaders. So show them honor and gratitude. And parents, as your youth pastor, um, let me say that our kids are deficient in this. The entitlement of our culture has trickled down to them. They do need to show gratitude. They do need to be taught to care for others. They think that everything they have, they deserve to have. Um, and so demonstrate, demonstrate to them to care for others, to appreciate others, to show gratitude, to honor others. And now, all that I've said so far actually ties into our scripture for today, which is from Philippians. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, Recently, I've come to Philippians in our youth group lessons and hope that they would latch on to the joy of the gospel. Christ has done the most amazing thing in his work of salvation. And if we're in Christ, we ought to be joyful. We ought to be thankful. And if we aren't joyful and thankful, then we really ought to 
question whether or not we are in Christ. Our whole reason for living is Christ. Philippians makes this very clear in chapter 1, verse 21, which says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this is also what the Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches by asking in question 1, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our primary purpose. And when does that forever start? It starts now. We are to glorify him and enjoy him now and forever. Now this letter to the Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And it was co-authored by Timothy. We don't know exactly where the Apostle was when he wrote it but very likely in Rome. And it's obvious that the Apostle Paul had a tremendous affection for the Philippians, in part because they were the fruit of his labors. Acts 16 gives the account of the beginnings of the Philippian church, which had begun 10 to 12 years prior to this letter. And they were as dear as children to him. And this letter to the Philippians is meant to strengthen and encourage them and to comfort them regarding his imprisonment and also to admonish them to press on amidst the sufferings of the world. And he tells them in Philippians 1.27 to stand firm in one spirit and with one mind to keep striving for the faith of the gospel. That was the work for them to do. And that's the work ahead of us to do, to stand firm in one spirit and in one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. We want to see the gospel go forth everywhere. And many of us have been praying for this, that God would do a great work through the gospel. And we need to stand firm together in this and strive for that purpose. So this morning, my hope is that you'll be encouraged and strengthened in your faith from Philippians so that we would be better stewards of the gifts that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. So let's read our scripture together from Philippians 1, 21, or sorry, 12 to 21. Philippians 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. And the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ 
according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, real briefly, I want to say something about the Philippian church. Philippians was written, written to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, which means by this point, it was an established church. They had church officers and had become a particularized church, but it wasn't always this way. It had very humble beginnings like often church planting does. And I want to share some of the backstory about that, some of the difficult circumstances in which the Philippian church was, was established. So if you go to Acts 16, I'm, just, I'm not going to read through it, but I'm going to just kind of summarize through it because it's pretty lengthy. Paul and Silas are out and about visiting churches where they had already proclaimed the word of God. As they were on their way, they picked up a young disciple named Timothy. As they were traveling, the Holy Spirit forbade them to go speak the word in Asia, which was actually the western part of Turkey. We're not talking about the big Asia, okay? We're talking about little Asia, western part of Turkey. And so they went up. Now, I'm going west here. This is my west, all right? So the western part of Turkey, they go. They can't go. God doesn't permit them. They go up, and they go up to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go there either. And so you can see that God was messing with their plans, making things somewhat difficult for them. They traveled this way, God said no. They traveled that way, God said no. And so they just went between, (laughs) went west between Asia and Bithynia. They ended up in Troas. And Paul had a vision in the night a man from Macedonia was standing and saying to come, come over and help us. And they had already traveled hundreds of miles and now believing that God was calling them to preach the gospel in Macedonia, they immediately got in a boat and traveled to Philippi across the Aegean Sea further west. So when they had arrived, their visit was pretty uneventful. There wasn't a big welcome party. They spent several days there and were trying to find what they were there to do. On a Sabbath day, they went down to a riverside outside the city gate, hoping to find some people praying there. And there were some women they sat down and talked to. Particularly, there is a woman named Lydia from Thyatira. Thyatira is mentioned in in the book of Revelation. A seller of purple fabrics. She was called a worshiper of God. She was listening, and God had opened her heart to what they were saying. Then, she and her household were baptized. And she insisted that they stay in her house. This kind of gives you a picture of the kind of woman She was very strong-willed since scripture says that she prevailed upon them. And so they stayed with her in her house. 
So then, they were going to a place of prayer, and a slave girl was bringing her masters a lot of profit through fortune telling. And she kept following Paul and the others and kept crying out, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Okay. Yeah, that's true, right? But this lasted for several days. And Paul got quite annoyed. And so he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it did. And you would think that that event would have been welcomed, right? That's a good thing, right? But things took a bad turn. The girl's masters lost their profits because of what Paul had done. And so they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the authorities they falsely accused them. They beat them with rods. The crowds rose up against them. They threw them into the inner prison, fastened their feet to the stocks. That's how you treat cruel beasts, right? Not God's ministers. So while Paul and Silas were in jail, they were banging on the doors, saying, open up. Actually, they weren't. They weren't harassing the jailers. They weren't saying, break me out of here. I shouldn't be here, right? Actually, around midnight, they were singing and praying and praising God. And they were wounded. They were in pain. But they were not self-absorbed or self-focused. They worshipped God and the prisoners were listening to them. And then a huge earthquake came and opened up all the doors and unfastened their chains. What an amazing picture of what God does in the work of salvation. Their chains fall off. The prison guard thought everyone had, had escaped and he was about to kill himself. But Paul yells and says, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And so the guard ran in and fell at their feet and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew they were Christians. That was obvious. And he fell at their feet and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. Now remember, it was very late. But right then, the jailer took the men and cleaned up their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. And he brought them food and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole house. So I wanted to read this or tell you this account because it really helps and give some of the backstory with Philippians on many levels. For one, the Philippians were so dear to the Apostle Paul. They were like his children. He suffered for them. He suffered with them. He, he saw them grow in faith and helped them come to faith. But also the, the challenging circumstances that God had used to make his gospel f- go forth. He, they trekked hundreds of miles 
multiple redirected turns because God wouldn't allow them to preach in certain places. And they ended up in Philippi and suffered greatly for Christ. But in all this, they showed themselves to be content with God's circumstances. In Philippians 1, when Paul writes, the Philippians were probably discouraged that their beloved Paul was yet again in jail, facing suffering and persecution for the kingdom of God. And his enemies were probably rejoicing over his afflictions and that he got what he had coming, just as the wicked would rejoice today when the godly suffer for the faith. But Paul wants to encourage them and says, now I want you to know, brethren. He wants to comfort them with these words. He wants to assure them that he's in good spirits, saying, I want you to know, be assured. What does he assure them with? That in fact, his circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. This is great news. Perhaps he heard from Epaphroditus that they were very concerned for his well-being. And so after expressing his love and gratitude towards, gratitude towards them in the first part of the chapter, he then assures them that he's okay. And not only this, but he's rejoicing and says he will continue to rejoice because of what God is doing. Now remember, he's in prison. And even while he's in prison, he's doing the work of a faithful shepherd. Yes, his circumstances were bad, but he wasn't whining in the slightest. He wasn't being a victim at all. He was rejoicing. Think of the injustice of putting him in jail, the injustice done to him. He was an apostle. He was doing the work of the Lord. He was not breaking the law. He was not up to mischief, but proclaiming the truth whenever and wherever he could. Now, we don't know where this letter was written. It was quite possibly written in Rome. And if you read the last couple chapters of Acts, you'll hear all that he had to endure in order to get to Rome so that he could appeal to Caesar and clear himself of the wrongful charges brought against him. It was no small thing, and it was full of great trial. Yet he was at peace and rejoiced, as we should in all circumstances. He trusted the Lord with the situation he was in. He was content. He was caring for the needs of his dear children in the faith, putting his own circumstances aside. And his whole focus was on the gospel. The gospel was going forth, and in this he rejoiced. He had perspective. He had godly perspective. And he humbled himself and put the concerns of others before his own. As I've thought about this situation, I've tried to put myself in his shoes and think how I might respond. I would be like, woe is me, help. Hire the best lawyer in town. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have to endure all this. I didn't do anything wrong. 
But the apostle bears it with faith and says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. These are words only a man of faith can say because Christ was his focus. The gospel was his focus and he desired all men to be saved and his frame of mind was at peace with his circumstances such that he confidently said, I rejoice because I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and through the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. He knew that prayer was powerful and he knew that the Lord was on his side. And so he had peace and trust because of Jesus Christ. Now this is certainly not what he would have chosen for himself. In fact, if it weren't for scripture and the apostle telling us that all this difficulty and hardship was helping the progress of the gospel, in my weaker fleshly moments, I'd make the argument that it was the opposite. I mean, think, if, if our beloved, Pastor Bailey, was imprisoned for boldly speaking the gospel, we would think things were going in the opposite direction. We would have campaigns on social media about how unjust our government is. And we'd say things like, this isn't progress. This isn't tolerance. And we'd have our signs, free Tim Bailey. Free Tim Bailey. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have those kinds of campaigns in order to help our government deal justly. But would we have the lens of faith to recognize that God is doing a great work in furthering the gospel through our hardship. And what I want you to see today that is that this is how God works. He works through our hardships and our suffering. And we shouldn't avoid his will in order to avoid suffering and hardship. Suffering and hardship is the soil that, that allows the good fruit of the gospel to go forth. To flourish. And God also refines us and purifies us and gives strength to our faith, especially through affliction. And we should not undervalue the importance of this. As I think back on my own life, my own trials and difficulties, pains and hardship and sickness, all, of all the things that have happened in my life, I know that in those things God has done the greatest work on my heart in suffering. I would not want him to change any of that because that was his loving discipline. And in all those things, I have learned to long for heaven more and more because of those things. And this is God weaning us from this world. And also through these trials and afflictions, he also gives us perseverance Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the Apostle Paul's imprisonment was not the plans he had in mind for himself. 
But think about what that seed of suffering did for the progress of the gospel and the work of sanctification, even in Paul's own heart. That suffering made Paul, made him more able to be a minister of the gospel. It made him more able to care for those in need. It made him more trusting in the work of God than his own. But very often when we have various trials, we we look at things the wrong way. We use the wrong lens. We, We use our fleshly lens instead of the lens of Christ. I could speak of some trivial things like you get a flat tire. What a major inconvenience. But what is God doing in that situation? He's giving you opportunity to be cheerful and trust him with your time. He may be setting up an opportunity for you to share the good news. But all too often we're too huffy-puffy and too self-focused to care even think along those lines in the moment. Or what about when your child knocks the ceramic gravy container off the table on Thanksgiving dinner right as you're all sitting down at the table to eat? We had a similar situation happen once. Is this an opportunity to get angry? Or is this an opportunity to show your contentment in every situation? And teach your children to have grace and love. Perhaps their disobedience was the cause of the episode. And that needs to be dealt with. But you haven't helped anything by your anger. Now these are just small things. Or are they? These are everyday things. And how we deal with the small things affects the big things. So work hard to do the small things well. The Apostle Paul says, My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. We need to be able to see through this lens, the lens of Christ, fixing our eyes on him. Because there are no setbacks with God. These interruptions and trials are all part of the plan. His plan. And God is working his purpose out through us. And we should want to be used by him. But indulge me another example. Over this past year with COVID, it's been quite the roller coaster. And I confess that I've had some learning and growing to do. As probably many of you have had. I don't know about you, but around this time last year, I began to learn more and more about my sins, about sins I didn't even know were in my heart, or I knew they were there, but I didn't know to what degree they were there, and God was exposing them to me so that I could repent of them. COVID has been many things, but one of them is that it's been a pressure cooker in our homes. I found myself being jerked around with every little thing that was happening in the world, trying to discern what's going on, what God's doing. There were riots, there were divisions, divisions with these people and that people and 
divisions even in the church. There was an election. There was sickness. There was the fear of sickness because of COVID. Many trials. And what God had revealed to me about my sin was that I was holding on to the hope of circumstances rather than holding on to the hope of the Lord. I found myself to be lacking in peace. And it was really like a roller coaster going along with the country's roller coaster this past year. At some point, I recognized that Satan was trying to take our eyes off the ball. The ball being Jesus Christ, our whole reason for existence. It was like distraction overload <sighs> with Satan trying to shake the very foundations, throwing thing after thing for me to be concerned about. But with Christ as our focus, we can't be shaken. Psalm 16 Starting at verse 8 says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. This is the assurance we must have. But we can only have it through Christ. We can try to have it in all sorts of other ways, but it's always going to fall flat if it's not in Christ. With Christ set continually before us, we will not be shaken. Satan is trying to shake the foundations with all that's happening in the world. And it reminds me of Psalm 11 where David's friends are trying to convince him to flee as a bird because the wicked are out to get him. And they say, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? But it's a bad question. Because if Christ is your foundation, the wicked can't do anything. Your foundations can't be destroyed. Not if Christ is your foundation. We can do all things because of Christ. So if you're standing on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, you cannot be shaken. But Satan tries to deceive us with all these distractions. And we're drinking in all this stuff from the world. And we're drinking and we're eating and drinking and eating what the world has to offer instead of feasting on God's word. So of course we're going to believe that the foundations are crumbling and being destroyed if we're not feeding ourselves on the word of God and not communing with our Lord. But the foundations aren't crumbling and David comes to his senses in Psalm 11 and says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is forever. I'm sorry, the Lord's throne is in heaven. As if he's saying, all is well. God is God. He knows what's up. He sees. This is the peace we need to have in the midst of our trouble and affliction. 
And this is also the peace we need to have when we tell others about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no reason to be afraid. We don't need to fear. We don't need to fear rejection when we're doing the work of God, the kingdom work of God. There's no shame in doing what's right. We have the power of God in us. And the gospel is going forth with power. We should not fear. Our kingdom cannot be shaken. They can try to silence us, but they won't succeed. And look what happens when the wicked try to silence the gospel. Look in Philippians 1 verse 13. He says, My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Whoa! The gospel is exploding. His imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Well, okay, who's that? Who's the Praetorian Guard? They were the the symbol of Roman power. They were the most elite soldiers of the Roman Empire. They were the special forces. They had a higher status. They were higher paid than the regular soldiers. And I don't know how many there were, but Scripture says that that his imprisonment became well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. And I did a little research, and historical accounts say that there were thousands in the Praetorian Guard. Whoa. Look what God has done. And then it says, everyone else. Who is everyone else? The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. I don't know, but scripture says everyone else. This must have been a big deal. Everyone knew about it. And if he was being guarded as a prisoner in this way, he was considered a special prisoner that they wanted to make sure wouldn't escape. And so they would chain the prisoner to the soldier on duty to ensure this. And so obviously Paul, he wasn't going to preach as he usually did. But again, he did not stop being a shepherd. He didn't stop proclaiming the gospel. He wrote letters to the churches and shared the gospel with the guards. And his circumstances became widely known. And not only did his, did his imprisonment have a profound effect in drawing unbelievers to the hope of the gospel... His imprisonment also gave courage to all the brethren. He says in verse 14 that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Not fretting because of my imprisonment. That's what I'd be inclined to do, right? Trusting in the Lord Because of my imprisonment, they have far more courage to speak the word of God 
without fear. They had far more courage. For what? To be a loud voice about how tyrannical our government is? No. They had far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. In a strange way, seeing another Christian brother or sister suffer for the faith strengthens our faith and gives us courage to do the will of God. Because what it shows us is that it can be done. We can have that faith. We can do this. Paul and Silas had the courage to proclaim the gospel, and so can I. So can you. And this is what happens with persecutions of Christians. And this is what Paul's imprisonment did. It was like lighting a fire at a gas station. It blew up. This is also how the early church began when Stephen was stoned to death. Scripture says, on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered, except the apostles. And those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. They didn't hide. They preached. You cannot silence the gospel. You cannot silence God's people. You cannot put out the flame of the Holy Spirit. Even Saul, before he was the Apostle Paul, tried to silence Christians. He was a murderer. He was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. He ravaged the church. He entered into house after house, dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. This was the Apostle Paul. And we all know how he was transformed. That's the gospel. You can't silence the gospel. The gospel even changes hearts of murderers like Saul, and makes them into God's servants. The persecutions that have happened throughout our history are awful, and so was the stoning of Stephen, and so was the crucifixion of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. But look what God has done in building his church. Look what God has done here among us converting us miserable sinners to himself. And so when our trials come, what are we going to do? When our interruptions and inconveniences come, what are we going to do? When our suffering comes, what are we going to do? Are we going to curse God like Job's wife told him to do? Are we going to be angry with God? Are we going to be bitter against God? Are we going to try to avoid suffering and live the easy life? 
Or are we going to trust him and live by faith and be at peace with God, taking things as his will when they come and looking to him for strength and guidance, being ready and willing for him to use us as he pleases? This is what the Apostle Paul did. He made the best out of his hardships. He allowed God to use them for a greater purpose. He rejoiced in his circumstances and made the most of his time. He wasn't sitting around watching Netflix. Of course he wasn't. Or Disney Plus. Or Amazon Prime. Or YouTube. He improved the time. He was a faithful man of the word. And he spent his time in jail furthering the gospel so that it penetrated even into the highest courts with the Praetorian Guard. And it spread into their families, even such that in the very end of Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, Paul writes, Greet every saint in Jesus Christ. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar, Caesar. The saints of Caesar's household greet the Philippians? Yes, even the family of the emperor. Who would have ever thought? This is the power of the gospel. It's not always the ones who you expect that repent and turn to God. We have to be open to God's will and who knows what opportunities we will have. We might be suffering, but we don't know what great work God may be doing through us in our suffering. Or he may be preparing you for something. So be ready and willing to be used by him for his gospel. Be watching for him. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Listen to his voice. Follow his voice and trust in him. Seek him through prayer. Feed yourselves on his word and let him guide you. Even into difficult circumstances. God is doing a far greater work than we know or can comprehend. But we must trust him. We must trust him with our lives. Paul's plans got all messed up. He was transported from this place to that, detained, beaten, mistreated in all sorts of ways. And yes, it meant suffering for him, but it meant the greater progress of the gospel. And we rejoice in this. And in the end of Philippians, we hear all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What a blessing. This could not have happened without this suffering. This is what God does with a man who is willing to be a tool for his purposes. The fruit isn't always immediately evident, but trust me, 
There is fruit from such a one whose sole purpose is to follow after the Lord and please him. Paul's fruit in jail? Tenfold? A hundredfold? I don't know how many times. It was incredibly fruitful. And his harsh circumstances gave him special opportunity to reach people who may not have otherwise been reached. And this was God's doing. None of us would have ever planned it this way. They tried to silence Paul, and in a way they did, at least publicly. They confined him to prison, but the gospel went forth, such that the whole Praetorian Guard was able to hear about Christ. Trying to silence the gospel is like trying to put out a grease fire with water. You can't do it. You can't put out the fire of the gospel. And when the wicked try to suppress it, it gains force and momentum. You silence one and out pops 10, 50, 100 more. They tried to silence Paul and disciples were being made all throughout the guard and even in the emperor's household. So listen, God's interruptions, God's changes of plans, God's inconveniences, the pains you suffer, or the persecutions that you face, they are for a greater good. They are sanctifying you, yes. But God is building a church for himself. Don't be afraid of what will happen. Don't fear them. We can't be shaken. We stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. God will help you. And he will deliver you in times of trouble. Don't be afraid. Get to know your neighbors. Pray for them. Share your blessings with them. Serve them. Help them. Bring them here. Introduce them to God's people. Be willing to be used. Sometimes your plans get changed. Sometimes you get a flat tire. Sometimes you have major interruptions. And when things throw off your plans or God changes your plans, roll with it with joy and contentment. You never know what God might be doing or how he may be using your hardships and your inconveniences to bring about his will. So be watchful looking to see what God is doing and look for an opportunity to share the good news with someone. God's got you. Don't fear. And one last thing I want to say is I want to encourage you in this to not be ashamed. Look at what the apostle says at the end of verse 18. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted 
in my body, whether by life or by death. That's a long sentence. But what's he saying? He's saying he wants to be used as a vessel for God's use. And he knows that he's going to be delivered and expects and hopes that he won't be put to shame in anything. The wicked will try to shame you. They always try to shame the righteous. They are constantly shaming Christians. But there's no shame in doing what's right. None. You don't need to feel any shame if you're doing what's right. Satan is a master deceiver. And he's trying to discourage you from doing good. He wants you to be ashamed of the gospel. Let that motivate you to not be ashamed. He wants you to be ashamed of the gospel. But don't let him pull that one on you. There's no shame in doing what's right. So have faith and pray. Pray for God's gospel to go forth. Pray for opportunities. Have a godly outlook. See see through the heavenly lens. And when trials and difficulties come, there are no setbacks with God. God has a plan, and we are his instruments. We need to be ready and willing to be used by him. And the gospel will prevail. It will prevail because Jesus is victorious. We have the victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, our merciful, gracious Father, we thank you for what you have done through Jesus Christ in saving our souls from hell. Lord, I pray that we would cling to you, that we would have a right perspective. We thank you for the saints who have gone before us, who have labored, and who were examples of faithfulness for us. Lord, help us. Help us when trials come to bear, bear them up with faith, knowing that you're at work. Lord, give us a heart for the gospel that we would desire to see it go forth and help us, Lord. We're weak. Help us to be faithful in sharing the good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.